I can only cry so many times over Sirius Black before I lose my dignity, okay? And so, how many times is that? I don't know. I cried when I read the book this time. I'm going to be so for real with you. <laughs> Welcome back to this other call review. I'm Madison and I'm Dea and today we are doing the Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix movie book comparison. So we're finally wrapping up Order of the Phoenix. Yay! Finally. <laughs> She's a long one. Yeah and they're just gonna get longer from here. Yeah. Uh, do you want to go ahead and start us off with the character yes, of the episode? Yes I can. Our character of the episode, I thought I'd switch it up a little bit, is Bane. He is first mentioned in Sorcerer's Stone. His classification is a centaur, which is a 4X, like, danger classification. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, his gender is male, and his appearance is described as black hair, black body, wild looking. Skills and achievements include divination and fighting in the Battle of Hogwarts. And a magic fact about Bane is that in Cursed Child, Bane tells Harry that there is a black cloud surrounding his son, Albus Potter. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. The spell of the episode is a charm. It's the imperturbable charm, and it is used to create a magical barrier around a target. So in the Order of the Venus book, Molly uses this charm on the door to the dining area where the Order of the Phoenix is meeting so that Harry, Hermione, and the other Weasley children cannot listen to the Order's conversations. This was removed specifically from the movie, and we can see the twins using their extendable ears to hear through the door. But technically, in the book, this charm blocks both noise and objects, which means that the extendable ears could not go under a door that had been imperturbed, and they couldn't hear through it. So that was, like, one, I would say, slight movie change from the book. Um, probably just for the fun of using the ear. Yeah. And the magical properties of it in the movie. So. Yeah. I think also just, you know, getting the little bits of information that they get. Like, that's how they're like, oh, yeah, Snape's here and stuff like that. So just... Yeah. As a way to get some information out without it, like, taking up too much time, which is something that I thought was literally my first note about this movie, is that it is the longest book. Mm-hmm. Of all seven, this is the longest one. And it is the second shortest movie. The only movie shorter than this is the first one, Sorcerer's Stone, and that's crazy to me. Yeah, they definitely cut out a lot. Like, a lot. Like, this is the longest book. You had so much material to work with. Like, I don't understand why it's the second shortest, especially when other movie chamber of secrets is longer so it's like you could have and nothing happened in chamber of secrets exactly <laughs> so it's like you could have put in the stuff that they cut out but they didn't and i i will never understand yeah um so we're starting off the movie and the first thing that you notice is that it doesn't start you know him laying under the window trying to listen to the tv and all of that um also we have that cuts what it starts with is actually him in the playground and Dudley and his goons are there to pick on him, which, if I remember correctly in the book, it's just Dudley. Yeah. The goons aren't there. <laughs> yeah, the goons that are... They're so ridiculous in the back. It's just... It makes no sense. There's no Mundungus, like, at all in this entire book, mm-hmm. so there's no, like, that, oh, the crack of apparition. Um, and then Harry takes his wand out in front of his friends, which I was like, that makes no sense to me. Like, you're not supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. But whatever. Yeah, and they run through a field when the st- it starts to get stormy. Which, and they Dementors start- don't 
do that. Cause storms. Yeah. So it gets stormy for some reason, and then they're sprinting through a field, and you're just like, okay. And this is when we get to the tunnel where the Dementors attack. And I will give it to them. The Dementor scene is cool and scary. Um, I still find it a little odd. They don't wear hoods like um, they're described in the books, which I guess is a small change, but also... It, it does kind of change their appearance. Yeah, especially since they were such a big part of book three that they, mm. we spent so much time with them that it's like, why change it now? Yeah. Also, another small thing in this scene is that his Patronus doesn't form the stag. It's non-corporeal. Yeah, he also gets it immediately instead of it taking three tries. tries. He just yeah. does it. Um, but Mrs. Fig is so funny. I know, I love her. I think it's. I think they did a great job with her and her little poncho, her wagon when she comes in. I think it's pretty iconic. I agree. Yeah, it's really fun. Again, we get no, like, explanation of Mundungus and things like that, because he's just not in this. Yeah, Mundungus just isn't there, which, I mean, I guess in this part you don't necessarily 100% need him. But later on, they do make it known that, like, he is important, because he's, like, the weasel that can get, like, the back alley information. So it's like, he is an important member of the Order, Yeah, despite being you know, a sleaze, but... Yeah, no, I think he's an important member of the Order. I'm just saying I don't think he was important to this beginning part. Like, yeah. if they were going to cut someone or something for it time, then it makes sense to cut the little bit that he's involved with in this beginning part. Yeah. Um, did they mention the lawn competition in the movie? I no, don't think so. they didn't mention it at all. Also, the ministry envelope, like, speaks to him in the movie. It does the form of, like, a howler. Mm-hmm. I don't think that did that in the books right here. He just read it, like, the paper. Um, or did it speak to him? I don't. I couldn't remember. We read the first part so long ago. I but don't. I was like, remember. I didn't remember it speaking to him. He also only gets the one envelope instead of the like three consecutive ones. Mm-hmm. There's no threat to breaking his wand, and there's no howler for Petunia from Dumbledore. So those are all a lot of changes in that little scene that we do there. Mm-hmm. And then you're right. Yeah, the Dursleys don't leave for a competition. They're just gone. Yeah, already. They're just like, mm, Harry stinks. <laughs> We're getting yeah. out of here. Bye. Yeah, they don't even threaten him to leave. Like, all of that is just yeah cut out of there. And then when the order shows up, there's no, like, Tonks helping him pack and stuff, which makes sense. That wasn't really important. Mm-hmm. I thought it would have been cool to see the cleaning spells, but I get why they yeah. cut it. I think it's one of those details that, like, you have the time and the space to do it in a book. But for a movie, like, if you don't, if you're trying to cut something, like, that's not super relevant to the plot or anything like that. Yeah. Remus also isn't there. Yeah, I don't know why. He should be, but he's yeah. just not there. I noticed that, too. I, I just, if there's already a group of wizards, like, why not just throw them in there? But Exactly. I'm yeah. sure they had their reasons. I don't know. I mean, it makes it better for when we do see Remus later. I'll yeah. to that. Um, and then, of course, they're flying, which they're flying super low to a the water and buildings, but somehow that's, like, being inconspicuous. Like, they're literally flying around a boat. There are people on it. So I'm just... If they're really trying to be, like, sneaky about it, they sh- Like, in the books, they are. But why in the movie are they just like, ooh, we'll fly around all the muggles. They won't yeah, see. Yeah, they're not trying to hide themselves at all. I think it was more just for, like, oh, the movie, let's show off London, like, let's, like, that type of thing. But yeah. it doesn't make sense, like, story-wise, because they're supposed... The statue secrecy, like, they're supposed to be... Yeah. Hidden. They're just like, oh, muggles are stupid. They won't see us anyway. <laughs> Speaking of muggles and shit like that, I've always found it interesting how the Blacks supposedly hate muggles, but they chose to have their house, like, right smack dab in the middle of Muggle London. Isn't that weird? Yeah. 
and like live in between two muggles. other muggles and like that's such like I always thought they'd be the kind like the Malfoys have like a manor in the countryside away from everything but they just live right smack in the middle of muggle London like that's so weird that is interesting actually yeah but when they do get there they don't give Harry a slip of paper it just that I don't understand <laughs> there's yeah the magic so that suggests when we had a conversation earlier and you thought that the f- building actually folded in on itself and I was like I don't know because it, to me, it sounds like his mind is, like, now seeing it and that he's read it. In the movie, they're definitely making it seem as though it, like, folds in on itself because yeah. there's no Fidelius charm at all. So he doesn't ha- There's no secret keeper. He's not reading it and then suddenly able to see it. All Moody does is tap his staff twice for some reason. Which, I'm like, how, what spell is that? That, that doesn't make any sense. the building to appear. No, that doesn't make any sense. And I feel like I don't like that change at all. It would have required no extra time for him to give him the paper and then have him read it, and then it appear. Yeah, I agree. That was a, an unnecessary change. Exactly. But we walk into Grimrock Place, which honestly looks really creepy and terrifying. Yeah, like, they, they I did think, pop off with that one. I think they did a really good job showcasing uh, Grimrock Place. We walk in, we see Sirius with his arm around Remus's chair. Mm-hmm. There's no screaming portrait of Sirius's mother. Yeah, we see, like, creature, like, polishing going to it. polishing it, and we just, you know, assume that's what it is, but mm-hmm. yeah, she never actually does scream, we never get told that's what it is explicitly, like. Yeah. Also, angsty Harry isn't as prominent in this movie as he was in the books. Like, I feel like in the books he was very, very moody, mm-hmm. but in the movies, like, even, like, the little fight he has with she, with Hermione and Ron about, like, oh, you didn't write to me all summer, it's very, like, subdued. Like, I feel like we yeah. don't get... He's not as, like, volatile, I think, with the people, like, when he gets angry. But also you lose some of that because you don't have the internal monologues that you have in the books. Because, like, he has all these paragraphs where we talked about how he would be like, I'm Harry Potter, blah, 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 this, blah, 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 that. We don't get that because it's, there's no, like, internal monologue in the movies. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And this is where we get to there not being an imperturbable charm on the door. So they do get to eavesdrop and Ginny doesn't get to teach us about the charm and all this. No, but Crookshank's eating the ear was kind of funny. It is funny. <laughs> I would give them that. We also get no huge fight between Molly and Sirius in that dinner scene afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like, she kind of does, like, a, he's too young, but then that's it. Like, they don't actually fight. James does not get brought up. Like, it's very much, again, like, a meek version of what happens in the books. And we get no cleaning Grimrod Place montage. I really wanted there to be, like, an 80s montage of them cleaning. <laughs> Maybe, like, in an extended version, they should have done that, like, included. Because they it makes it seem like he was only at Grimald Place for, like, a night yeah, or when two. It, they're cleaning for four or five days straight. Yeah. He was there for a while in the book. But in this one, it's like, boom, we're going to the ministry now for the hearing. Also, talk about Grimald Place. They popped off with the ministry. It looks so cool. No, I'm so excited to see it at epic when mm-hmm. Universal opens it because yeah it looks incredible in the movies and I think they're gonna do a really good job like with it in the parks as well I think it looks amazing no, so it, it really does the ministry statue isn't what it is in the books it's like two separate ones I kind of noticed that because I know that in the books they make like a big deal especially later on when Baltimore comes in about how it's like wizards on top and then but it's like they have like one giant statue of a wizard and then a separate smaller statue of the mermaids centaurs and goblins and yeah. things like that so that was just, again, not really important, but I noticed it. Mm-hmm. We don't get Kingsley and Arthur, like, pretending, like, oh, serious, and his black. Like, we don't get that, and we don't meet Arthur's coworker. Either. No. Which, again, something that, like, I kind of get. Not, not super necessary. important. They, they, honestly, they push it all together. So Arthur and Harry run into Kingsley on the elevator. He tells them about the hearing being moved. 
So, like, we kind of skip the need to go to the office. We, we skip the memos, all that. And then we're going to the hearing. Also, we see Fudge and Malfoy before the hearing. Yeah. That just didn't seem like a necessary change to me. Like, why... What was the point in changing the order? Why not just have him see it after, like, he's supposed to? Exactly, yeah. I didn't understand that either. At least Harry's dressed a lot nicer in the movie than he is in the books. He's got a blazer on, like... Yeah, no. A far cry from his t-shirt. His best t-shirt. Yeah. And then when we're in there, um, do you know what the difference is between the Wizengamut members wearing red or black? What is the difference between them? I don't know. Like, I'm pretty sure that's just a movie thing. I don't think they mentioned that in the books, but Mm -hmm. I was watching that and I was like, why are some of them in red why are some of them in black? Like, what's the difference? Maybe they get to choose. They they have two robes and they're like, today I'm going to wear this color. I'm going to wear red today. Yeah. Good. That makes sense. Because I don't, yeah, they don't mention it at all. No, like, I was just in my own head trying to, like, come up with something. I was like, maybe, like, the red Wizen Gamut members are, like, the seats of houses. Because you know how, like, every, like, house has, like, a seat on the Wizen Gamut? So, like, the House of Black has a seat. The House mm-hmm. of Malfoy, the House of Potter. Like, they're all supposed to have seats on the Wizen Gamut. So, I was like, maybe the red ones are, like, the family houses and the black ones are just, like, ministry employees that are on the Wizen Gamut. That's just me trying to come up with something myself. Because, yeah, they don't explain it, and I don't know yeah, what the difference I was. Know. I feel like that would make sense. Or, like, they, if they have, like, smaller councils within the Wizen Gamut, and oh, those are the leaders of those councils. That would make sense. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it could be anything. But, I mean, it's only a movie thing, that, yeah, as far exactly. as we can remember. So That's true. Yeah. The whole thing, the whole court thing happens really, really fast. And then we skip directly to the train station. There's no, like, coming back... Congrats, Harry. There's no mention of Ron and Hermione becoming prefects. There's literally nothing. Yeah, Ron and Hermione just aren't prefects. They are, I guess. And this, no one is a prefect. Pansy and Draco aren't like. There's no mention of prefects whatsoever. In this. Which even if you cut out all of like the back and forth that happens with the prefects, I feel like you could have just had the pin on their thing and him being like, "Oh, I'm prefect," and then you can skip out on all the, "I'm Harry Potter. Why am I not a prefect?" Like, get it doesn't. We don't need that. But like show that they are the prefects. Exactly. I don't know. It just seems like a weird thing to completely cut. No, I agree too. Like, yeah, it's a complete... We also skip the stuff about, like, Sturgis, Podmore, and all, like, those extra things off the side that, like, are side plots that they connect later. Yeah. All of that is also, like, cut, which those I kind of get. Mm-hmm. You can still understand, you know, Voldemort's big plan without all that, that stuff. And then the fact that they're at the train station and Sirius changes back into a man in the train station, and they have a little heart-to-heart in some side room. While he's wearing a robe. That is the fruitiest thing. This man pulled up to the train a station fur in a robe. robe. yeah. <laughs> and Sirius gives him the picture of the original order, not Moody, that he normally shows him in the house. And so, I... I don't know. I It's interesting to me that he chose... They chose to have him change back into a human in the train station like this, and then he doesn't go all the way to the platform. No. So then we don't see Draco seeing him and then making the comment to Harry... About the dog or whatever. Yeah. Which this photo also, this is just me being like head ass, but the, it doesn't make sense to me because it's 1995, right? And Sirius and Moody in the book say that this was taken 14 years ago, which was 1981, right? Which is the year Harry was born. He also mentions that Marlene and her family were killed a couple weeks after this photo was taken, okay? Stay with me. And then later on in Grimmauld Place, this is like in book seven, but we read a letter that Lily wrote to Sirius, which that letter is a whole other rant that I will get to when we read it. But she says it's after Harry's first birthday and that Marlene has recently died and they're sad. So that means that this photo was taken in July of 1981, which seems fine. 
But then we also learn that Caradoc Dearborn died six months after the photo was taken during the height of the war, supposedly. But if the photo was taken in July of 1981, then six months later would be January of 1982, which is way after the war has ended, not during the height of the war. So it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh-huh. That's just me. That'd be just J.K. Rowling's inconsistencies. Like, that just <laughs> does not make any sense to me. Yeah. Like, that's such a silly little thing, but, like, it doesn't make sense. When was this photo taken? When did these people die? Like, her timeline is all over the place because then that also opens up the conversation about the order members in this photo because if it was taken in July of 1981 but Dumbledore created the Order of the Phoenix in 1970 when the Marauders weren't even at Hogwarts and half of the order members were still in school Mm -hmm. so it's like you're telling me that half of the order because there's canonically only 24 in the first order half of them didn't join the order for eight years after it was started so the technically the order only had like 10 members for eight years and then all the children joined, and then they got to 24. Like, it's just, it doesn't make sense <laughs> at all, the timeline of everything. Yeah, well, I, it's one of those things that there's no rationalizing it because she hasn't actually explicitly said the timeline, I don't think. No, she has. She Like, well, she the timeline that like, we know... I mean, like, clarified it. Okay, yeah, because I was like, the only timeline we know is the order was founded in 1970, and then the photo was 1981. But even then, like, all the other stuff that she mentions, it just when you put it together in one timeline, it doesn't make sense. Like, she just threw all these things together and didn't think about how they actually line up. And it stresses me out. Anyways, moving on. Voldemort in a suit? Mm, kinda... <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't want to do this podcast anymore. <laughs> that was a joke. I feel unsafe. That was a joke. I'm gonna call my mom. I'm kidding. There's no train scenes whatsoever. We just get a shot of them in it. And then... All of a sudden, they're out. So we don't get a no prefect combo, no Neville's plant exploding, no Cho coming in, no Ginny and Luna, no Malfoy mentioning Sirius, like he said. Like, all of it. Taken all out. Gone, dude. Yeah, which means that we meet Luna um, in the carriage, and Hermione does the intro because Ginny is not there. It mm-hmm. doesn't happen on the train. Um, also, they kind of killed the Thestrals. Like, with, with the CGI. And, I think they look cool. No, I think they look really cool, too. Definitely terrifying for sure yeah like they did really good and i also love the portrayal of luna we've talked about this i think she's amazing i love how whimsical and odd she seems i like the choice to make her hair the way that it is even though it's supposed to be like a dirty blonde i think it looks so much better like this no i agree and i think the way that ivana landed this role is also amazing like she read the books fell in love with luna went to audition and then she got it like that's my dream (laughs) like reading a book being like i want to play this character and then getting to play the character like oh it's amazing Mm mm-hmm And then we get two Hogwarts. The house table is once again switched. Like, the order of how the tables sit. Like, can they please just pick one and stick to it? They just keep them on their toes. It's so stressful. They're like, guess which table's yours this year? Figure it out. Who (laughs) knows? But, um, Imelda Staunton ate up the role as Umbridge. Like, that is the one note I have about this entire scene. She she fills me with so much rage. Like, triggering my fight or flight every time she opens her mouth it was perfect casting she ate that roll up no yeah she did really really good i think yeah they like they cut dumbledore's speech kind of short and all that stuff but i didn't think that was a big deal i think they said no. what they needed to say i mean it wouldn't have been said correctly anyway because he doesn't accurately portray dumbledore so i mean that's correct <laughs> that is so take away his speaking lines it's fine just kill him earlier kill- anyway, actually just kill him now you don't care about the accuracy of, of his character anyway so just kill him <laughs> Honestly, I don't even remember what this is, but I remember my note just says Potter's arrow plotter is clever. 
I don't remember where we see that in, but I thought that was clever. Okay. <laughs> it's probably from the Daily Prophet or something. Oh, yeah, they're probably reading it the in headline. the common room. Yeah. That's what it is. And the confrontation with Seamus happens in the common room in front of a huge audience instead of the privacy of their room, which... It's for the drama. For the drama of it, I guess. And a little spice, um, yeah. And then we are going to lessons now, and I still find it interesting. They just kind of shove a few members of each house into every lesson. That's what I'm saying. So even though it's, like, primarily, like... Gryffindors because they want to put all the Gryffindors there and you got a lot of Slytherins then you get like one or two Hufflepuffs in the corner and like a few Ravenclaws here and there like they just sprinkled the other two houses and they're like oh my god look at all the houses and you're like hello even though they're not supposed to be all four houses it's two houses per class it's so ridiculous yeah I'm like they're like okay we're just everyone's fitting into this one class sure yep which also in this class it's basically just Harry arguing with Umbridge and the books like Dean and part of a T and Hermione and Ron, like a bunch of people join in in this one you know Ron and Hermione will make one comment but it's mostly just Harry which is a small change but I kind of liked how in the books you know it's it's not just Harry being angsty and moody like she's trying to portray it like it's legitimately fucked up and everyone it's a uni- united front <laughs> together we fight this yeah. is also the only class that they like show go to yeah yeah they're just you have to just realize that they're going to other classes i guess they didn't want to include the others yeah um and when he goes to umbridge's office did you notice that he she has a framed picture of just fudge's head on the desk yes i made that note too it's just his head it's just his face yeah with a hat on Mm -hmm. like just his head yep i also made a comment that even her tea and sugar are pink which is just i just think for her character design funny was really good yeah yeah, but we go straight to detention. There's, like, no other middle stuff. Because in the beginning of the book, we kind of go through the entire week of mm-hmm. classes and detention. But we only really get this one detention scene and we cut out all that. Which, again, I get it. Yeah. It's mostly filler. Exactly. And since they cut out all the other classes, that means that they cut out the lesson with Hagrid on Thestrals. So Harry goes and visits the Thestrals alone and happens to see Luna there, too. So Luna's the one who teaches Harry about them, and she has a satchel of raw meat that she's feeding them. Yeah, where does she? Where does she get this raw meat? Well, I know that the um, Hogwarts kitchens, you know, you tickle the pear and you can get in there, so she probably knows about that trick and goes to the house elves and is like, can I have some raw meat for the Thestrals? And they're all like, yes, Miss Luna, here. Here, Luna, have a snack. So probably. We also, um... There's no Harry coming back from detention and seeing Ron in the hallway who's trying out for Quidditch because there's just no Quidditch in this movie yeah, whatsoever. no Quidditch. Nothing, no Ron trying out. Like, it's completely eliminated. I, I guess. Know. I guess, yeah. They just didn't see the need for it. So no Weasley's our king and all that. Nope. All yeah. of that gets completely cut out. Also, since I was just the Thestrals again, it's not really pointed out specifically in the book or the movie at any point, but in the movie, Neville cannot see the Thestrals and we talked about this because I said we weren't sure um because I was like I think he can but then I think you were like I don't know because he can't see it I think we were thinking about the movie he cannot see them in the movie yeah but technically he can see them because he witnessed the death of his grandfather so he should be able to and I don't I think I think it was just an oversight for the movie yeah I think so too it's one of those things that's like conflicting like details like directly conflicting so if someone's like can Neville see the Thestrals you need to be like Maybe, maybe not. In the books, and the movies, we gotta clarify. Yeah, we gotta clarify here, but he can see them, technically, just not in the movie. Yeah, you're right. Um, something that I just thought was funny is that when they get to the Great Hall, Ron is reading, like, a Cramit Study for Your Owls pamphlet, mm-hmm. which I just thought was really funny, and I think that's a very Ron thing, and I think it kind of 
is good because like sometimes I forget that like they're in school like they do have these important exams so it's like seeing little things like that I'm like that's just such a good little detail and stuff mm-hmm. and the fight between Umbridge and McGonagall I like the way they did it in the movie I know we don't get like a confrontation like in class where like they fight and stuff like that but I think this one the way Umbridge keeps stepping up to be taller and then eventually McGonagall steps down just really kind of it's a good scene to showcase like how much power she keeps gaining you yeah know? and then also how it cuts from that to all the cha- like the changes and everything yeah so. I actually like the daily profit like montages to like give information mm-hmm. I thought that's a cool way to like I like the montage. give exposition also because I think it's showing the passage of time well of all the rules that are happening without having to hone in on when exactly yeah um, but they do kind of ma- like they're kind of squishing things together mixing up the timeline a little bit to make it work for the movie, which I understand. Yeah. We get her theme song, which they did not need to make it such a banger. (laughs) Like, that is such a good song. Yeah. I hate her, but it's a really good song. She is an iconic character with an iconic song. She is. And we get a bunch of, like, really funny scenes, I think, in this montage. Like, we get the (laughs) obviously scene where Snape, like, smacks Ron afterwards. We get her measuring Flitwick with the tape. Yeah. Like, I think all those scenes are just, I think they're really good. Mm -hmm. But the thing, the main note that I took from this is that we jump to Trelawney being fired. That's supposed to happen in March in the books. That's what I was talking about with the timeline is that they fired her really, like, just... They're like, oh, yep, here it is. Yeah, like, it was, like, I was shocked when that came up. I was like, there's no way this happens already. Like, and I went back to my book. Yeah, it happens in March. Yeah, we're way too early for that. Way too early. There's also no Forenzi, like, whatsoever in this movie at all. Yeah, which, I mean, judging by the CGI of the centaurs whenever they do show them, I'm kind of okay with Forenzi not being in it, but then also how do they explain the divination? Like, yeah, who's like, teaching divination? Even if in passing they were like, oh, yeah, Forenzi the centaur is teaching it. But there's, like, not nothing. Think yeah. about it. <laughs> exactly. Wonder about it. Yeah. I also had a note about how it was, like, the DA should have been formed before she gets fired, but that makes sense because she was supposed to get fired in March. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, you know, jumping up the timeline, but, I mean, unless you really pay attention to, like, the book like we did, then you probably wouldn't notice if you're yeah, just watching the movies. Yeah, I wouldn't really care. Yeah. And they have a meeting with Sirius, which, thank God, they changed the portrayal <laughs> of talking through the fire because the other one was atrocious. I hated it. I know. I literally put, I was like, there's some weird new CGI for the fire calling. (laughs) Yeah. It's so much better, though, so that his face isn't the actual logs and stuff. It's weird. No, I agree. I do like this one better. But there's also no hand trying to, like, reach up and grab him. No, because he says he's like, someone's coming, and then, but, like, that's it. So it's like, it makes it seem like someone's coming in Grimrod Place, and it doesn't showcase how, like, much control Umbridge has, where Mm -hmm. she can, like, sense that someone's using the flu. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, that was just kind of like a miss conversation there yeah and then Hermione after this is when she mentions the DA and Harry like just she's like okay and then we jump straight to the hogshead meeting like three weeks are supposed to pass from when she originally asks him to when she brings it up again like Harry's he doesn't refuse and eventually give in like we're just there already yeah which I mean the three weeks makes sense like why would they spend the time portraying that but like he could have fought back I think a little bit yeah. To take a little more convincing on his part. Yeah. And in the hawk's head, there's no Mundungus eavesdropping as a witch, because again, there's no Mundungus, period. Exist. <laughs> Marietta Edgecombe does not exist either in this movie. She's just not a character. 
So it's just a lot of little things are being cut out, which I can I can get some of them, but the Marietta one is the one that like upsets me a little bit because of the repercussions it has later on in the movie, which mm-hmm. we'll get there. Like that's one that I was like I just don't understand. She was kind of important to the plot of this book. Yeah. So cutting her out was an interesting choice. No, I agree. Also, this was just a note I made because I'm me. We discussed like in the episode where we discussed the book like oh, like, why didn't they, like, there's no Slytherins, like, not even, like, innocent first or second years, and then we had talked about how, oh, well, they're, like, too young, they probably don't want, but I remembered while watching this that Colin and Dennis, who are first and third years, are in the DA in the Mm -hmm. books, and in the movie, Nigel, who's a third year, is there. So there's no reason innocent first, second, and third year Slytherins shouldn't have been invited. The fifth years, whatever, Draco and Pansy, they can be bitches, I get it, but there's some innocent ones in there. (laughs) Allegedly, how would you know who to trust? Yeah, I guess that's fair. Yeah, and we also don't get the whole naming of the of Dumbledore's army correctly. Nope. So it just kind of appears on the on the paper, and you're like, oh, it's Dumbledore. I guess that's army. what sure, it is. Sure, we're calling that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also completely cut Dobby from this movie. So Dobby does not tell Harry about the room of requirement. Somehow Neville just stumbles upon it, and Harry or Hermione knows what it is, and she's like, oh my god, Neville, you, you found the room of requirement. Which if she knew about it, then like, why didn't she? Why bring didn't it up? she bring it up? He also finds it in the wrong place. The room of requirement is supposed to be on the seventh floor, and he walks out of the great hall, runs into Crabbe and Goyle, turns the corner, and then there it is. That's not where it's supposed to be. Yeah, <laughs> which is just such a nitpick, but I hate that. Mm-hmm. But I like how in the movie they added the wizard dummies. Um, I think they're a nice touch and they're cool. Also, they have something to practice on other than each other. Yeah, um, I agree. I think the montage of all the meetings is cool, even though, mm-hmm. like, again, that kind of fusses with the timeline a little bit because it's like they're supposed to have meetings, like, once, like, a month or, like, every other Wednesday, but we just kind of get all of them at once. We don't get, like, anything else happening in between. But I like that because it's a way to show the passage of time without all the extra details in between. Yeah. Because it gets us all the way through Christmas, like, and we get the scene between Harry and Cho, but I just think that, like, using the montage was a great way to pass the time and move it forward, even though, you know, Trelawney's already fired for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, Trelawney's already fired, like, we don't, yeah, and Quidditch is cut out of it entirely, so I guess none of that needs to be in it either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I also made a comment, I was like, does Umbridge get this high up in number of decrees? I don't remember her making this many in the books. I don't know. I mean, they tell us the... I know that they tell us the big ones in the book. I'm sure that there are smaller ones in between, and they just kind of portray that with the hammering of the thing. Well, yeah, because it's like every time they tell us about a new one in the books, they are following an order. We get 23, 24, 25, 26, 27. If they told us, like, oh, decree 23 was that she's High Inquisitor, and then they're like, the next decree, number 37, then that would, like... We could, like, be like, okay, there were others, but they follow number order. Okay, what was the number in the movie, then? Well, I don't know. When I looked up at her, when I was looking it up, she got to, like, fucking, like, 50-something I saw in there, and I was like, there's no way she got up this high. Maybe she did. I don't know. That's ridiculous. I did not pay enough attention to that, the numbering, honestly. I wouldn't, I don't know. Yeah. But you're right. Those montages lead us all the way up to Christmas. Kiss with Cho. I hate it. They, like, make out for, like, a good Yeah, no, we were watching it, and... Because Day and I watched the movie together, and we try not to talk during the movie so that we could save it for the podcast. But I sat there and I was like, are they supposed to make out? I was like, I imagine, like, a little, like, awkward, like, peck, but they keep going for more. I'm like, I don't feel like I should be looking at this. Yeah, I... 
I understand now why Daniel Radcliffe hated that everyone was there for that kiss, because it truly is awkward. It's so awkward. They're so stiff, and it just, like, I'm like, nope, no more. Yeah, no. But the scene afterwards is just as funny in the movie as I think in the books. I think the three of them talking about (laughs) it. Wet. (laughs) Yeah, emotional range of a teaspoon, like, Mm. it's really good. We don't get Hermione writing to Crumb and, like, a jealous Ron, Uh, but, again, that's just, like, a Mm -hmm. small detail. And I did read somewhere that them all laughing at the end, they actually, like, broke character, but they thought it was cute, so they just kept it in, which I like. That's cute. I think that's adorable. The trio on and off the screen. Yeah. And then we get his, um, Arthur dream vision thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which, when he gets to Dumbledore's, the other Weasleys are just already there. Yeah. And then he summons Snape, and Snape is immediately like, okay, let's go for your first lesson. Like, literally no rebound time. No recovery. You're going straight into your lesson. Especially because, yeah, he's supposed to start occlumency when they get back from break. But Mm -hmm. they're just like, nope, we're starting. You just woke up from your dream? Let's go. Like, that made no sense to me. We also don't get, like, Snape's childhood memories during, because in the first lesson, we see, like, him with his, like, parents and things like that, so we don't see that at all. Mm-hmm. There's no visit to St. Mungo's, because technically they're supposed to go straight from Dumbledore's office to Grimald Place to wait, then they go visit Arthur, but we don't see the visit. That means that we don't see Lockhart, and we don't see Neville visiting his parents. Exactly. So, I mean, I guess you don't need those scenes, but also, like, that was how Ron and Hermione find out about Neville's parents. Yeah. So they kind of lost that a little bit. I think they should have kept it in. I think this scene is such a big one. Like, it's its whole, like, chapter. Mm-hmm. That I was like, I just, I don't see what At this is. a little bit. Especially, like, your your movie's already the second shortest. Like, you could have put more stuff in and there. And where I... are the others, other Weasleys? <laughs> Honestly. Where are the older ones? Why is there no, why do they not mention the, the thing with Percy why are we not talking about it? <laughs> yeah, literally nothing. Like, it's literally just Fred, George, Rob, and Ginny. Like, that is it. The other reasons just don't exist. Mm-hmm. We then learn about the Black family tree now, which is much later. In the book, um, they, they he learned about it at the beginning when he first gets to Grimald Place. Yeah. So that was just interesting. I don't know why they had to switch that, but I guess. There's also... An- no, no joint Christmas gift from Remus and Sirius. I know. There's no... I was like, where's Remus? Yeah, where, where is, is he? <laughs> where is Remus? He was off doing his thing. Ugh, I'm so upset. Yeah. And we go back to school, and we're going to the meeting, and this is when they're getting caught. Which, they just stand there and watch as the wall is destroyed from the other side. At least in the book, they all start running, and Harry gets caught with, like, by Malfoy. Yeah. But they all get caught, and yeah. guess what? Since there's no Marietta, Cho is the snitch. <laughs> yep. Before this, just really quickly, I just had, like, some quick fire notes. Hermione, when they get back, um, is does the all-excited, oh my god, Hagrid's back, even though they have not mentioned Hagrid once this entire movie. Like, at least in the book, they're like, oh, I wonder where Hagrid is, like, is he okay? So when Hagrid comes back, it's important. They have not mentioned him once the entire movie, so it doesn't make any sense. No, the only, the only, like, look into it you get is that at the beginning of the speech, he mentions, oh, here's Grubbly Plank teaching care magical creatures. We don't even see. You just No, drop. there's just a person there. <laughs> there's just somebody there. Yep. Um, I mentioned that how Umbridge interrogates Hagrid alone in his thing instead of in class because they don't go to class mm-hmm. at all. Um, and then another just, like, random note was Bellatrix licking her dark mark and then Neville reading about it. And it's so sad. I hate, that was really sad. 
Um, and Neville tells Harry about his parents in the DA room because we skipped St. Mungo's. Mm-hmm. Just some quick fire notes that I just had. Lots of different really changes. Quick. Also, before they get caught, there's no way all these bitches got their corporeal p- patronuses that fast. Absolutely there's not. There's no way. <laughs> Absolutely not. Listen, I think the movies sometimes forget, like when they make the movies, I think they forget how hard magic is because we've got these kids producing corporeal patronus, which nobody can do. Like, full-grown adults struggle with it. Yes, and he- the fact that Harry can do it is the special thing, so like obviously they should not be able to do it. And then we have all the nonverbal magic, which everyone, for some reason, can just do, even though it's supposed to be, like, a special skill, like, really difficult, obviously. Mm-hmm. But as the movies go on and into Fantastic Beasts, you just, there's no spells anymore. Yeah. They're just using nonverbal magic, which makes no sense. Yeah, no, I agree. I do like, however, the Roderick Hermione's Jack Russell Terrier and Otter. I think that is really cute, because at first you're, like, Lily and James were stagging the dough, like, your your Patronuses are supposed to match if you're soulmates, and people, like, were like, oh, an otter and a Jack Russell Terrier, that doesn't make any sense, but, like, apparently Jack Russell Terriers are known for chasing otters, so I think that's oh, really that's cute. cute. You know, Ron's Patronus is always chasing Hermione's. I like that. We also get no Valentine's Day date, no Quibbler article, no Rita, like, interview, none of that. Oh, no yeah. Hogsmeade, really, Cuts besides. Cuts that whole thing out. Also, when Cho snitches, um, there's no hexed sign-up sheet, so we don't get the cool little... Sneak on her face. Sneak I on know. the face. Which, whatever, I guess it's not that essential, but it was so funny in the book, and I would have loved to have seen I it in the movie. see it. Yeah, this, I think, yeah, this consequence of not having Marietta was one of the worst ones. Like, it's just so annoying. Mm-hmm. But Dumbledore leaving with everyone in his office, sick as fuck. When he smacks his hands together and, like, fire erupts, like... Because of how cool that looked, I will disregard how they changed it. Like, there's no stunning and all that. I don't even care. I don't even care because that exit was so amazing. Yep, I agree. I think Kingsley's Dumbledore's got style. That, so So funny. funny. And then, I don't know if you remember, but when we discussed the Goblet of Fire movie comparison, I had told you that the reason Percy wasn't in this was because his actor um, only had a four movie contract so he chose to be in order of the phoenix instead of goblet of fire Mm -hmm. he's standing there in the group isn't he yes but he's in two scenes he's standing there in dumbledore's office he's standing there at the ministry at the end and he has zero lines isn't that weird that is weird like he chose he's like yeah let me be in order of the phoenix instead of goblet of fire because i have a bigger role and then said bigger role is two scenes with no lines i guess i just don't understand contracts because why not just make a new contract so that he can be in all them exactly he's i don't know yeah. Seems weird. But that's but something that I noticed when I saw him in this is. scene. I was like, wait, he wanted to be in this movie because he had a bigger role, but like he's barely in it. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Also, do they all have a big group detention with the blood quills in the books? No. Yeah, that's what I thought. Absolutely not. That was an interesting that addition. That was unnecessary. I think that this time that they used for this whole scene could have been used for canonical details. Yeah, literally anything else. That they cut out, I felt like that was so unnecessary. Also, it's interesting in the movie that they choose to get rid of all the portraits. Um, They don't do that in the book. Yeah, and I don't understand why, like, what does that even accomplish? No, and I think that that is another, like, even though it's only a few seconds, it could have been used for, again, canonical details, not for that. Yeah. No, I agree. It just, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And then because there's absolutely no Quidditch in this movie, and Hagrid, no, no lifetime Quidditch ban for Harry. Exactly. No fighting scene. I wanted to see them beat the fuck out of that boy. Yeah. 
But because there's no Quidditch, Hagrid doesn't grab Harry and Hermione from the Quidditch stands. He grabs all three of them, because Ron is there now for some reason, and just takes them and he's to like, see Grop. Rob. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, this is him. Okay. Weird change, but, like, I guess there's no Quidditch, so they kind of have to just throw Ron in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have more occlumency lessons, where Harry does not go into the pensive. He shoots a Protego, and that's how he gets into Snape's mind. Yeah, and happens to see the scene of his dad and the others bullying Snape, which is, it's fine, I guess. It's not that big of... Not my marauders, I'll say that right now. That's not what they look like, I refuse. (laughs) (laughs) We'll say that since it's um, Snape's memory, he he warps his memory because he doesn't like them. He makes them uglier. Makes them uglier. Yeah, we'll say that. We'll say, yeah, I agree with that fully. Yeah, and I also, like, we... I obviously am not an expert in Aquamancy or Legilimens, but I'm not sure that Protego would have that effect. Yeah, I don't I think I get so where either. they're going with it, like, as if you're using Protego as a shield and it bounces back. But I don't know how he would then see that. I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a cool idea, and I see, like, if they got rid of the Pensieve and they did that and said, I think it looks fine. Um, and it might not be against the rules, I don't know. Yeah, but just logistically... Yeah. Also, something that I noticed that was just such a small little detail but is really fucking sad is that when James Expelliarmus um, Snape's wand away, Sirius goes in the back. Nice one, James. And then later on... Yeah, please. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, I get you. I get where you're going with this. <laughs> okay. I just... I wanted... I didn't know if you caught on to that. Um, yeah. No, I did But thank you. his last words. Yeah, so. thank you <laughs> okay, so you're much welcome. for that. Um, anyways, <laughs> I love the tense silence leading up to them crashing the owls with the fireworks. So they combine a lot of their antics into this scene. Like they, there's no swamp or anything yeah. like that. They do the fireworks during the owls, um, which as a student, I would hate that, but like power to them for sticking it to the man. Yeah. We also don't get any career advice from Minnie mm-hmm. and Umbridge. I don't know why that note is here of all places. But I thought that was always, I thought that would have been a nice scene to have because it sets up Harry becoming an Auror later. Like, that oh, that's what he yeah. wants to do. It You know, it said, like, cause I was like, I feel like that was a scene, like, even a short one, mm-hmm. I think, could have been in it. Yeah. But the swamp is sad. I really did like the yeah, swamp. Yeah, no hallway it... swamp or the initial breaking into Umbridge's office to use the fireplace. Yeah. So no. we wouldn't, we don't have any prior knowledge to the fact that Umbridge is the only one who's not monitored on the like the flu network. Mm-hmm. Harry just knows He just this. happens to know. Yeah. We do get our theme song in this scene yeah. as well. I got really excited. I was like, oh, that's our theme song. Mm-hmm. And Harry's supposed to fall asleep in the history of magic owl and have this vision, but instead he just trips and falls outside in the courtyard while Fred and George are leaving. I don't understand why that. Just combining them all. It just I guess. still, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. They combined sense. it all for time. They because combined the fireworks, combined the owl, combined the vision. But if anything, I think how the way that they did it in the movie should have been even more proof to Harry that it's not a real vision because he's only ever had visions while he's asleep. So in oh. the movie, in the history, like when they, in the books, it makes sense that he believes it because he fell asleep and that's when he has visions. So it makes sense that he believes it. Yeah. But in this, he's having it with his eyes open in broad daylight so it's he like, it just know. doesn't make sense. He should know that, hey, I've never had visions awake before, you know? So it's like, I just, for that reason, I don't like that change. No, I now that you pointed out, I don't either. I think that that makes a lot less sense. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't even get his head into the fireplace before he gets caught. He doesn't talk to anyone. doesn't talk to creature. Nothing. <laughs> no, there's nothing. So kind of also erases creature's role that he plays in this whole 
set up to him getting him into the Department of Mysteries, too. Yeah, no, I agree. I think very much Creature in this movie was more of a... She was writing Deathly Hollows at this point, and she knew that Creature was going to be important, mm-hmm. so she was more telling the, you know, the directors and things, like, hey... You need to at least You need him. to at least put... Like, he needs to be in there, at least. Like, at least show him once or twice, because he's going to be important. And they were mm-hmm. like, okay, fine, have him fucking clean the portrait or something. Like, yeah. I feel like that's what it was. Cause they... Also, Umber slapping the shit out of him. Yeah, just... <laughs> My God. It's so funny. No, it's... It's so weird. Like, this whole entire scene, like, there's no plan for getting there. They just burst in. Then Umbridge all of a sudden bursts in. And then the Inquisitorial Squad is just like, oh, we found these three outside. What? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Somehow they were helping them, but there was, like, not really a plan. plan. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't... It just... It's all getting so rushed, I think, at the end mm-hmm. that it it stresses me out. And we get to the forest. We get to see the amazing CGI centaurs that I look forward to seeing Great. every time because... Our Bane, even though he's not mentioned my name. Yeah. Okay, but here's my thing. They had time. We're Okay, we are on <laughs> the fifth one. You had time to improve the CGI, and you chose to stick with that original design. We reimagined Flitwick, and yeah. nobody gave you crap for it. You could do the same thing for the centaurs and make them look less stupid. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. The, especially Grop CGI also gets me, too. Oh, like, yeah. that's... I'm always like, okay. Does not even look like a real thing. Yeah. Yeah, no. But Grop does not meet Umbridge. Grop shows up after they've already taken Umbridge away. So that scene's just slightly different there, where Grop comes in. Like, he's supposed to come in after they take her away. But it's not that big of a deal. And then they meet up with them at the edge of the forest in the books, not on the bridge. Mm-hmm. Again, small detail. And they're like, oh yeah, we got away with puking pastels. No, you didn't. You're supposed to get away with stuff you learned in the DA. Yeah. It's just, there's such small changes that I'm like, I don't understand why it was necessary to change it. Yeah. Just the, the change for the sake of the change. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. So we go to the Department of Ministries and... It- Mysteries. <laughs> Ministries. <laughs> the Department of Mysteries, um, which looks cool, but they obviously cut out a ton of stuff. This is where, like, they really, really, really just shaved a lot off, and I feel like this is where it gets interesting in the books. Yeah. We don't see any part of the Department of Mysteries besides the orb besides, and the veil room. Yeah, so like, there's no it. rotating doors, no preview of the veil, no brain, brain room, no room full of time pieces. Neville's the one who finds a prophecy, not Ron, which... Again, is why change that? Yeah. It is one line, and Ron says it in the book, so why give it to Neville? Yeah, I don't understand it either. The prophecy also starts speaking to Harry, and he hears it. What the fuck is that? Why he can hear the prophecy when he's just holding it. Like, it doesn't make any sense why he hears... He literally hears the whole thing. He should not have heard anything, because then Dumbledore's supposed to tell him later. Exactly. So why are they standing here like, oh, that's the prophecy. What? Yeah, no, I think the dep- I think this is where the movie really starts to lose me because, like we said before, like Word of the Phoenix is probably my favorite book, mm-hmm. and the last chunk of it is my favorite part of the entire book. And I think the movie just did it such a disservice by mm-hmm. cutting all of this out. The Department of Mysteries is so fascinating, and a lot of the stuff that happens in there is important, like Hermione getting hit by Dolohov and Ron getting attacked by the brain. Like that is stuff that affects them like traumatically like trauma wise later on the time turners all getting destroyed is an important part of fixing that plot hole like there's just so many things that i'm like why'd you get rid of it 
Yeah. You could have added more time to this movie. It's the second shortest. Could have used the time from them all having that weird detention together to show the other rooms. Even a glimpse. Exactly. Yeah, no. This is something that really pisses me off. Yeah. But one thing they did do well is Bellatrix. Because she left no crumbs. I... Bellatrix is the perfect casting again. The all the characters that they have done like the that in this movie, like Umbridge, Bellatrix, all the perfect. Yeah. No, I agree. They're really really good fucking casting. I think they all to ate up their uh characters. I think the cre- one of the funniest things is that I don't know, maybe they just don't know it at this point, but like she yells at Harry like, "You felt they have blood." Voldemort's also half blood. Well, in the book Harry says that Oh, does he? Yeah, he makes a okay. comment about how your lord is also, a vo- like, Okay, a thank God. So I was going to say, I was like, I think it's so funny how they use that against Harry all the fucking time when it's uh-huh. like, so's your master, dumbass. I think, yeah, he mentioned, in the I know in the book that he says something about it when they call him Half-Blood. Okay, that's And I think they then. call him a liar. You know what I mean? Oh, so he's just straight up pretending. So I don't actually, yeah, I'm not sure, though. I'd have to look back Okay, yeah, because I don't remember either. Yeah, and now that we've given them, you know, some praise for their casting... Why are all the spells doing the same thing? Yeah, that's not what Levicorpus does. It just <laughs> she says Levicorpus, and he just goes flying, blows away. That is not what the that does. The only one that actually they use correctly is Reducto, when Ginny like blows some stuff up, and also yeah. like Spelliarmus they use correctly. But everything else, they're just like throwing spells. They're, they're just all saying doing the shit same now. thing. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. This entire fight scene also happens in the orb room because they don't get separated. They don't go into the different rooms. It just mm-hmm. all happens here. And then they're able to run into the veil room, which also looks different than what I thought it was going to look like. But I still guess... looks cool. Yeah, it still looks cool. Um, I thought... I guess when I imagine it, I imagine, like, for a normal amphitheater, how the seats go all the way down to the bottom, and then you have the dais in the middle. Yeah. But in this portrayal, there's, like, raised walls, and then that's where the seats start, so there's, like, separation. Yeah, I remember you pointed that out, which I was like, I'm glad you did, because I was like, I did not notice seats... At all. Like, yeah. I was not looking at the walls like that, so I was like, there's no seats, there's supposed to be seats, but you did point it out, so I guess, yeah. Different yeah. than what I thought, but still technically accurate, though. Yeah, there's a scuffle, and they, like, hold the... The thing is, they grab all the kids, and they're on the circle, and this happens in all the movies, right? I find it interesting that people stay still when there's a wand pointed to their head or their throat. Because it's not a gun. They can't stand there and then, like, immediately kill you. They have to do the wand movement... And, and point it at you. Yeah. So unless they're going to stab you in the throat with the wand, them holding it to like that's not going to do anything. Fight it's, back, especially because yeah, their hands are at their sides, and as far as we know, they have their wands on them. Yeah. Fight. So it's like literally fight back. They're not. They can't like have it to your head. Say like Avada Kedavra, and it's going to kill you. Like they have to actually move the wand and point it at you. Yeah. No, I agree. I never understood that either. There's also just one Death Eater per student weirdly symmetric even though there's supposed to be 12 of them unless we're assuming that they're some of them were out killed at the top. they're just like looking but, down they're like okay got him they're like i'm gonna sit popcorn they have little earpieces they're like no 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 you go back you go back go back up we don't need you <laughs> there's only six of them come back but yeah it's like unless we're assuming that some of them were killed in the orb room but then in which case that means these 14 and 15 year olds have bodies stacking up so <laughs> yeah or they just like crushed them with the the shells falling, because, you know, they do a lot of damage in the they orb They do, yeah. They do a lot of damage in the movie. And then, you know, now now we got the Phoenix, the Order of Phoenix come in, right? 
Sirius decks Malfoy in the face. He does. <laughs> and Lucius drops the prophecy, not Harry. Yeah. Which I think, I think that was honestly, like, a good change because we know that Draco gets the mark later to punish Lucius for this. So the fact that Lucius is the one who dropped it, I think gives Voldemort more of a reason to punish him. But then again, if we're painting him as this like really big villain, then I guess it makes more sense that he's so evil that he punishes Lucius for something that like technically wasn't his fault, you know? Yeah. Depends yeah. on how you look at it. Um, but the Order members are all coming in, flying around like the Death Eaters do, but in white? What the fuck is this? Since when can they do that? That's not a thing. I don't know. I is hate this, that. Is this supposed to be some, like, weird variation of apparating that they're special because they're, like, the force of light versus darkness? Yeah. I don't know. I don't get it. I hate it a lot, actually. Yeah. We don't actually say any spells now. So, like I said before, they're just throwing things. Yep. We're just throwing spells around willy-nilly. Everyone can just do nonverbal magic now. Yeah. So now... Um... <laughs> <laughs> The pause, because now we're at the point where Sirius dies, mm -hmm. and we have a big change here. Very big change. Yeah, if you would like to go ahead. Yeah, I'll go ahead, just because I feel like you might cry. Um, no. <laughs> so, first of all, he's supposed to be dueling Bellatrix, but instead he's dueling Lucius, and Bella just comes in from the back. And she comes in, not with a jet of red light, like it's supposed to be in the book, mm -hmm. but she actually says, and we see a Vada Kedavra green light come out and hit him square in the chest, which then causes him to fall back into the veil. Right. I don't like this change. No. Me neither. I think the sadness of Sirius's and, like, the importance, the depth of his death is so, like, encompassed by the fact that he got hit with a stunning spell. Mm -hmm. If he hadn't fallen in the veil, he would have survived, you know? Yeah. But the fact that they changed it to Avada Kedavra just completely makes it this finalized thing. There was no way he could have come back from this. And I think that minimizes Harry's, like, PTSD from this and, like, the meaning of Sirius's death, even though I firmly believe Sirius didn't need to die. No, I don't, yeah. The, the little bit of meaning that it had in the books despite it being a dumb choice, was taken away by them doing this. Mm -hmm. Also, it seems so unnecessary. They laid, She laid it out for you, step by step, how it happened in the book. And you changed it for what? Literally no Like, reason. you had to make the conscious effort to change the spell, change the color, and do that. Yeah. I don't know. And then he does say his nice one, James, right beforehand, which yeah. is what he said earlier. It is his last words, and it's not something he says in the books. No. So I think that also an interesting choice. Addition to that, I don't yeah. like we we do know that Sirius does see a bit of James in Harry, mm -hmm. just like Harry sees a bit of James in Sirius, but I still think at the very core of their relationship they do see each other for who they are. Yeah. So I just I don't know. I thought it was weird that his literally dying words were nice one James to Harry. Like I just I don't know. Yeah. I didn't really like it. Not ideal. And Dumbledore doesn't show up in the Veil Room like he's supposed to. He shows up in the atrium. Yep, exactly. And the thing that I just had to point at this is um, when Daniel Radcliffe screams after mm -hmm. Sirius dies, the reason it's silent in the movie is because his scream was so sad and traumatic that they had to mute it yep. for the movie, which I think is so... I think it, A, showcases his acting skills really, really great, but also that's so sad. Mm -hmm. Like, they had to mute it. That's how bad the scream was. Oh, my God. 
So sad. Just that raw emotion. You know, Daniel Radcliffe also didn't understand the need. Yeah. <laughs> he was so upset by the change. Exactly. Remus holding him back, also super fucking sad. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Dumbledore's appearing out there after Harry's chases Bellatrix. They have their cool little fight. Bellatrix disappears right away. There's no fountain coming to life. No. The way she disappears, like, slides back into the flames, though, that was sick. Yeah. I very much like that. And we don't get the... We don't get Voldemort's epic entrance, but it's whatever. Yeah. Can't I, Blata? Yeah. And, like, the possession of Harry is, like, fine, I guess. I don't know why I didn't imagine him laying on the floor while he was possessed. Yeah, no. Also, again, everyone is supposed to be, like, incapacitated during this, but they're all just standing in the back watching Harry be possessed. Like, that's another thing that I was like... Well, I mean, they they were... There was no way they would have done that because they didn't show them getting incapacitated before. So, like, what, how could they explain them not being there I then? Mean, yeah, but even then, it's still weird. I don't know. It's I think that part is just movie continuity. They made the change. They had to stick to it. Whereas, like, if they had been incapacitated and then they showed up, then I would have been more confused by it. But they were just continuing what they had already said. And so. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Um, and Dumbledore does not send Harry straight to his office after this is all over. We we seemingly see them have this conversation, like, a day or so later. Mm-hmm. Which, again, interesting change. I don't see why that needed to happen. And Harry is way too calm during this entire thing. Like, they have this very, very short conversation, and Harry's just like, yeah, because of this, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, he's supposed to be angry, he's supposed to be throwing things, like, he's supposed to want to leave. Like, I just, I thought this entire thing was just not well done. They barely covered half of what they discussed in the books. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a very quick, I didn't want Baltimore to think we had a deeper connection, and the visions. Okay, bye. Yeah. I fucking guess. And then Harry does not talk to Nick about the ghosts and Sirius coming back. That's not a thing in there. Um, and then my last note is this cringy ass, we've got something Voldemort doesn't. Something Voldemort. worth fighting for. It's giving very much the power of friendship. Like, I hate that line. Yeah. I guess, I don't know. It makes a little bit of sense because they, like, cut out a lot of... Dumbledore's lead up to this power that Harry has that Voldemort doesn't. Yeah. And so that was their way of, like, I guess, paying homage to that, but I think it's really funny. No, yeah, it's... It's such a funny line, the way that they're all walking in, like, like a, a, a figure behind yeah. him. It's so funny. It is. And then we don't even see them get to the train station. The order doesn't um, threaten Mr. Dursley. Like, again, just, like, the whole ending of this movie was just so... Rush. So many things were cut, and that—that's I think where it falls. A little Give us flat. two movies, split it in half. I mean, like we said, they were going like starting Goblet of Fire. They were thinking about it, but then they were like, Nah. They should have. I think should've. we missed out big time on that one. I think so too. I think Goblet of Fire on. I think two movies would have been worth, or it should have just been a show, from the beginning. I think a, a series have each season be a book would have been a good idea to do from the start. Yeah. Just because there's so much information in all of these. But you also have to imagine when they started this was not when, like, streaming and stuff was big. That's so true. So I feel like shows now, they have a bigger platform to be watched and consumed. Whereas yeah. the time, like, movies were the way. Yeah, so, I mean, I know that my for family... for the time period, yeah. Yeah, my family has all of these movies on DVD. Yeah. So, even though you can watch them on streaming now, like, that was how you did it. Like, did it, so... Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. You're right. But, but yeah. yeah, that's the end of Order of the Phoenix, finally done. Yeah, 
I mean, my favorite book, movie's iffy. Yeah. yeah. But I think overall, though, I did. I enjoy this No, I, I enjoy this book a lot. I mean, I enjoy watching the movie um, when you watch it right after reading the book. Then you're more, like, tuned in to all the changes that kind of make a big difference. Yeah. Um, but but yeah. I think without doing that, I think it is a fine movie. I yeah. think it stands alone fine. Yeah, especially if you... I think that if you're looking at this from an outside perspective of someone who just watches the movies, then that's a fine movie. Gives you the details that you need to know for the next the next one's coming. Yeah. So, yeah, it does it does a good job. Yeah, I agree. Want to do some jokes now? Oh, more than anything. <laughs> so excited. Okay, you want to go first? Sure. What do you call a wizard from space? <laughs> oh god. <laughs> what? A flying sorcerer. That's good. Yeah, uh-huh. That's good. I like that yeah. one. I like that one. Okay, mine's not as good. <laughs> <laughs> the instant's cut to seriousness. I I just need you to know. How do you know what you really desire? Is this a mirror of Erised thing? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Because the mirror of Eris said so. Oh, okay. A little play on words there. Okay, okay. Not my best, but I'm, I'm running out of good jokes in this book. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> running low. All right. That is all for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Next episode, we will be discussing Quidditch Through the Ages, so make sure you tune in for that. Make sure you guys also follow us online. Our Twitter is at SotherclawRev. Our Instagram is at SotherclawReview. And, of course, we have our website. Make sure you guys leave a rating, comment, or review. And just tell your friends if you enjoy this podcast. All of this helps us immensely, and we appreciate it so, so much. Until Until next time! time!